Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will include Anna Delvey, Butterfly Murderers, and the Cult of Authenticity. All this as we explore imposter syndrome on Created Things. Hello and welcome to Created Things, a podcast of Catholic creatives and the only podcast that has the courage to ask the question, what if the Velveteen Rabbit were actually full of crap? I'm your host, Father Gabriel Toretta, Dominican priest, burgeoning medievalist, human being 75% of the time. And with me is my co-host, Jacob Flores Popchak. Human being 100% of the time, except when he's not. Artist, psychotherapist, person sitting in a chair. How are you? You know, I'm I'm human. I'm alive. I'm already at work in my head deconstructing frustratedly why you would have knocked the Velveteen Rabbit thing I keep bringing up in different episodes. But, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there together. That's so beautiful. It makes you feel any better. I completely forgot that you've ever mentioned the Velveteen Rabbit. Is that cool? In like three or four episodes, I've talked about art Velveteen Rabbiting itself into the thing that it says it is. Now that so you like say it, talk, that rings a bell. We talked about that in the Christmas episode, like kitschy Christmas ornaments not having any value, but then over time being loved into having value. We talked about, I think, the town of Santa Fe being like fake we might have talked about that off air, but like Santa Fe was sort of in New Mexico was constructed totally falsely to sort of look like a stereotypical Mexican town, but actually didn't exist, but now has become an actual vibrant, you know, inter, uh, in, in, uh, interracial, interethnic, uh, super eclectic town. So yeah, I talk about the velveteen rabbit effect in art all the time and you just open by unconsciously dissing me, my guy. I did. What yeah, I did. Yeah. No, why that's good. Why you gotta be so hostile? Yeah. Well, cause I figure like we got to open somehow and why not open with, um, you know, uh, subconscious but real hostility you know like why not you've got to open somehow this is some yeah, you're this just is, gonna this open is up it's just... like a like like an old like an old married couple it's be, be like uh honey like oh this is this is inc- this is incredible i hate this food i've never had it before honey we've had it every tuesday since we've been married for 50 <laughs> years it's like well i hate it it's the worst you said you loved it yesterday i hate it yeah, <laughs> that like, does actually describe our relationship a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's pretty much it. The only the only question is that like we're switching back and forth. Like which one, which one of us is the naked wife, and which one of us is the like forgetful, um, uh, neglectful husband. It's good. Yeah, I think the difference is is that I like to start off confusing and work up to a mic drop, and you like to start with a mic drop that sort yeah, of yeah yeah alienates everyone and then you like re-ingratiate people afterwards yeah this and then is it's, actually yeah a device that you use even homiletics i've noticed where you will just start off trying to offend as many people as you can and then you will bring them back in again oh that's I don't funny know i do actually do i do doing that i but you do, do know that, that all i the do time. do that i it's not intentional i don't think of it in my head as like i'm trying to offend you i think of it in my head as like there are a lot of ways of being wrong that are very popular and most of the people in this room probably have most of them and i'm gonna say how they're all dumb and then we're gonna go from there (laughs) which i find to be welcoming i would i dare i say affirming wow 
Wow. I, I don't know if I would dare say that, but I love you. So I'm going to look the other way on it. That's right. That's uh, because because real love means lying to each other. <laughs> kind of <laughs> on on air for while well, people are listening. Yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah, good, good, good. And then like mm. explosions in secret. <laughs> 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 this is good. This is, by the way, like, you know, gentle listener, if you signed on to this because you wanted arts and beauty, I tell you right now, we are giving you for free passive aggressive marriage advice. Yeah. Yeah. Just real, real sort of like femme toxicity, throwing a lot of that in there because that's our brand. Yeah, um, you know. exactly. Like, like, are you or have you ever thought about buying a shirt that says may contain wine? Because I think maybe you should. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. You know, it's life. This is it's life. wine o'clock somewhere. It's wine o'clock. What are we talking about? Why are we talking about this? I don't know why we're talking. About I don't this. really know. I'm I'm about to get distracted by talking about wine merch, but I'm not going to. Um, even though it is a whole, it's a whole mood. We could do a whole thing on wine merch because I really that's passionate. I have a passion about that. Um, yeah, we actually we should we should do wine kitsch as an episode. Yeah, we were just saying off air for you for those of you who weren't with us off air, uh, oh, which sad. is all of you. Is that anybody? We were just saying. Well, I mean. Our guardian angels. Um, I was saying uh, I'm looking forward. To, we were coming up with some other topics for future episodes, and I, you know, no spoilers, but I was saying I'm looking forward to making these episodes incrementally more toxic as we go. And I think this is really a turning point. I think this episode is the conversation so far is showing that that's the direction this is going for sure. That's beautiful. I'm so I exactly right. This is a beautiful moment. Um, well, listen, I started with all that. Um, because today I want to, I want to talk about the question, am I real? Okay. Yeah. Because you were doing peyote in the desert? Yes. Um, possibly I can, I can neither confirm nor deny and I don't live near any deserts. Um, <laughs> so I can neither confirm nor deny, but, uh. Weren't you just in Utah at time of last recording? Um, technically speaking, yes. So, no comment. You can. I don't know that you have a leg to stand on. Uh, technically speaking, um, no comment. So, <laughs> as I was saying, the question is, am I real? Right. Um, and you know, this is this is an arts and beauty podcast. It's uh, uh, it's always a big question. I think for artists, um, uh, as the question well as of whether I exist or not is a question for artists. Yeah, I'm going to say that because the question is, am I a real artist? Am I okay? Am I really as good as I think I am? Am I really as good as people say that I am? If other people say that you're good. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I thought you meant in sort of like, do I exist kind of Kant sort of a way. But but you're talking about more questions of identity. I I can dig that. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna crawl. Um, we're gonna crawl inside, uh, a warm little cabinet. Uh, and we're gonna ask, and we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, phenomenologically bracket everything that we've ever known, and we're gonna prove to ourselves by thought alone that we exist. Um, <laughs> this is at this. first, what, what? At first, when you said the cabinet thing, I thought you were making a 
a Kafka's metamorphosis thing. I thought you were confusing Kafka and Kant for a second. You were like, we're going to be little cockroaches and crawl into a cabinet and take a nap. But then you actually, you hadn't confused it. And no, this is, this is what Descartes did. Like, uh, um, Descartes, like, I guess he was cold. Um, and he like literally, um, crawled inside what's basically kind of like a, it's kind of like a stove, uh, kind of like a room stove. Uh, and like, that's where he did his thinking for the, uh, for the, um, uh, for his big work where he comes up, where he ultimately thinks that he can prove, uh, the objectivity of his own existence by this claim, you know, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, uh, which has all kinds of problems. Um, uh, but this is the idea that he, he crawls inside the cabinet. He never comes out again. Um, there was a saint, I forget, when I was doing my confirmation prep, there was some girl in the class whose name I also forget, um, who chose as her confirmation saint, some like little known medieval saint awesome. who would put her head in an oven mm. to hide from the sound of evil in the world. And yeah. this girl said, this girl said, and I really relate to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that she doesn't have a gas oven. I'm just going to say that right now. Because <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. That's intense. Is it, was, yeah. this, was, this, was this girl's name Virginia Wolf by any chance? Because <laughs> like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's intense. Um, On that yeah. happy note. But I think I just think that like this is a big thing for for lots of people that like you know so okay i'm in graduate school right now and um the first time i ever heard the phrase imposter syndrome was like my orientation day uh here at at the university where i had been saying like you know that like blah 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 blah, but like the one thing i was frustrated about was that like or like a like a little bit ashamed about was that my latin wasn't as good as it needed to be um and like maybe is you it, is absolute it really, dork is it you really good enough to be loser. here i mean dude medievalism like hashtag dorks are us um uh yes technically that would be uh dorky sumus uh which is cool um <laughs> but uh yeah and then and the person i was talking to was like oh so yeah that sounds like like imposter syndrome and i was like yes question mark but ever since then like i just at the time i thought oh wow that there's a phrase i never heard before but like that kind of sounds like what i'm experiencing sure yeah um but ever since then i just find this like everywhere like now this is like a big thing like the university holds workshops on like imposter syndrome and this and that and like oh really That's yeah, interesting. yeah 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 and like i mean obviously once I discover that like something is sort of like broadly broadly spoken about, um, I am probably I'm at least going to have to wrestle with thinking that this is dumb. Um, that is your bias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you if it's not hipster- yours. As if it's not yours. It's not. No, mine is the exact opposite. You have the you have the classic hipster bias of if something is popular, you knee jerk toward this is dumb, and I have the exact opposite bias of if everyone says something's dumb i want to find some deeper meaning in it yeah that's right yeah 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 that's right you that's okay fair so it's they're technically speaking the we same are thing, literally the comedy and, and tragedy mask of our very niche type of nerdism yeah that's that's a fact that's a fact yeah that's <laughs> uh mm-hmm, fact so that's how it goes uh yeah so i kind of want to explore that basically like because i think ultimately that's the question about uh this so-called like imposter syndrome uh it's uh it's a a a problem i think for creatives in general is sort of like asking 
um, am I real or am I a fraud? You know, mm-hmm. um, and like, and I just thought that that would be a fun uh, thing for us to explore. Yeah, I think that's important. I, I, I think we probably sort of glimpsed at that when we were talking about the tortured artist idea. Um, and I, but I, I like this idea of sort of broadening the scope because obviously this question isn't something that we just ask of ourselves, right? Am I a real blank? It's also something we ask of other people, like, are they a real blank? And I mean, this is our arts podcast. We're going to talk mainly about art stuff. Maybe this is even wrong that I would bring this up because we can't, we can't, uh, uh, you know, undoodle that, that etch a sketch once we start, but. I mean, this is even a conversation of like, what is a real Catholic? Am I a real Catholic? Are they real Catholics? You know what right. I mean? And, totally. Yeah. You know, this, these, these questions I feel like are maybe, maybe the reason why the imposter syndrome conversation is happening so much is because I think we are as a culture asking a lot more questions about what makes someone a real, whatever they are a lot more often. I mean, even, even. I mean, we're doing it with, with arts on here. And then, you know, I just mentioned the Catholic thing, but like, I mean, so-called cancel culture and obviously everyone's got an opinion on that and stuff, but, but just objectively, you know, one of the conversations that happens a lot in there is, oh, this person isn't really an ally. This person isn't really an activist for this thing. They're just performative or they didn't mean it enough or, you know, so yeah, questions of my own right to be here and my own um, justification in a certain identity or movement questions of other people's are, are yeah. I mean, when you put it that way that they all kind of go together and it's, it's really important. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm thinking for instance, um, I, the, the friend of the inventing Anna, Anna, um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the phone, New York socialite, Anna, um, Anna Delvey. Yeah. Anna, Anna Delvey. Delvey. Thank you. I was for your last name. Um, uh, her friend, the one who was sort of the major source for like, oh, this is all like, well, oh um, yeah. Her friend of me, the one who got screwed yeah. in, in Saudi yeah. Arabia or Dubai, wherever they went. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I watched, um, before the show came out, um, there was like an interview with, with her, um, and, uh, and she was describing, um, uh, this they're describing this moment um actually this might have been an article uh but anyway in the case she's describing this moment when um uh it was something like they had had this big party at a big restaurant or something like that and like her check or her credit card got rejected um and right. the way that she says it, and she says that this was a moment when like her eyes were opened you know um and she said but the way that she says it i thought was really striking because she says she says like oh my god Anna's not for real. Oh, wow. And I just like, like, that's very, that's a very poignant, you you know, I mean, this is a phrase, you know, it's just a kind of casual phrase, but thinking of it, I think is a very rich thing that like, she's not real. Like, she's not real, that all of this is not real. But it's, but that's a weird idea because of course it's really happening. This is real money that's being spent. These are people's like real lives that are being upended and stuff like that. Right. And And she's doing the thing she's well, she's really doing it. Ultimately, this is what the trial comes down to, right? Is like it, she's doing the thing she's sh- saying she is, right? She had a plan to produce this money, right? Like, who are you to say that she's not who she says she is? Like, yeah, man, this is all. This all gets very. When you suggested, "Am I real?" as a topic, uh, 
shortly before the app. I got to be embarrassingly honest. We we are underprepared for this one. When you suggested this topic, I was like, hmm, not sure where this is going, but oh shit, this is this is deep, actually. This is a pretty wide spectrum of um mental health anxieties that that can stem up from the various iterations of this isn't there i uh i am familiar with being spectrumy yes um <laughs> yeah no i just i just think that there's a lot here like what um because i so listen one of the one of the interesting things about like that claim that like anna delvey is not for real um is um or one thing that's at the back of it um, is this deep, 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 like 1980s, 1990s, and even 2000s desire um, that the ultimate value is authenticity. Like the ultimate personal value is authenticity. Mm-hmm. I would, I would propose, and this isn't the topic that we're really exploring today, but I would propose that. Um, the ultimate personal value may have shifted actually away from that now um, to a different mod to a certain mo- a certain modified form, but um, uh, but I think particularly through for for that maybe twenty thirty years, um, like the ultimate real personal value was authenticity, um, which and- I think I I mean I agree with you on, but I think we should establish a little further as to why you think that and why i do maybe it's for the same reason maybe it's not because i i think most people would assume you were gonna say like wealth or self-actualization or because when i think the 80s and 90s and like the value i think doing cocaine in an office with shoulder pads you know what i mean like that's what i think of but you're right like when you say it as far as personal values go and like the thing, especially as we get in the nineties, like the thing that we sort of hold up as the best thing you can be is like the most authentic, whatever you are. Right. Exactly. And I think, yeah. And, and you're right. Like at some, uh, the, the obsessive, uh, value, ultimate valuation of, of authenticity is always in this like very interesting tension with, um, social goods of uh like performed social goods like gordon gecko greed is good as you say like um every everybody putting on shoulder pads and doing do, and doing coke you know like uh all that stuff like that's that's there um but uh but again part of the like even even there like part of the kind of gordon gecko greed is good thing is saying like yeah no this shouldn't be a performance this should just be who you are like you shouldn't be ashamed of being obsessed with the uh, with making money and everything like this isn't some performance this isn't some like bad version of yourself that you need to like get rid of say so this is you and you accept right. that you're really you you know and like live that yeah, it's not just peeling back the curtain. It's like setting the curtain on fire. Yeah. And like all the come on, like all like every every 90s like teen special, like every 90s teen show is about kind of like um learning to really be who you are and uh and just be yourself and learn to be beautiful as you are. Um you can, I mean, again, there are like performative contradictions and tensions here, right? Like every '90s teen movie about like the mousy girl who has bad hair and glasses um, learns that she can just really authentically be herself when she like 
gets a nice haircut and like um sure takes off her glasses and suddenly like her breasts increase like three sizes and she like pulls these high heels out of nowhere the, and like and the there Grinch's she's just- breasts grew three sizes that day dun 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 <laughs> that's right that was also the more you know um that's yeah uh that's just you know that was the plot of everything was like i mean it, again you can say that's weird doesn't it seem weird and suspicious that like the authentic version of you that you should be looking for is actually kind of a product like that's a whole thing but like um but uh but again like that's like the 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 cultural messaging of like what do we actually value from like 90s sitcoms 90s teens shows um even uh like I, i'd say dramatically still through the through the 2000s uh you get this very strong idea of just like be yourself be who you are um i mean early versions of like uh home goods wall art kind of like text you know text decoration art before um before that was like what uh, every basic white girl had on her wall um mm-hmm. were things were things like be yourself right in like nice cursive right um, right and i think you know there's a there's a popular perception that that's just a celebration of individuality but i think you're right that it that individuality is actually just a fruit of that that it goes much deeper it is a celebration of the highest possible good being authenticity and i'm thinking about this like even the shows and and stuff that were really because you're right this is twisting now but the shows sort of prior and then into the early trump era all during the obama era and everything that that were really most popular are like house kitchen nightmares um all all these shows where there's a really mean guy and maybe it's reality shows maybe it's scripted like house was but but either way it's like I mean, even the celebration of the Joker is this, right? That that everybody out there is so fake, but this one guy, he goes through and he tells it like it is, and he's sure he's an asshole and you know a misogynist, and you know, he screams at people in a restaurant and stuff, but he's real. Yeah, you know, he's, he's so real. real. We say let's we, get. We real. love him. He's a folk hero for that. I mean, Gordon Ramsay shouldn't be a folk hero for the kind of things that those shows have done or or you know the character of house or any of those things we let we ate it up because it was like oh yeah he's so real yeah he's just getting real you know and like and there's this so there's this like really strong resistance to any kind of like social performance that's acknowledged as such at least um uh like you know you shouldn't have to uh just like do what your parents did or whatever like wear uniforms or whatever like you just have to like be yourself you got to be authentic be true to yourself you know find mm-hmm. your authentic self and be true to, be true to that you know mm-hmm. um and that's what real is and anything that is anyone who isn't doing that strictly speaking isn't real and that's the problem, right? That's the, so that's like that's the that's the the reality structure that's set up by this absolute value of authenticity. Um, so you said like at the beginning, like is this is this some sort of like peyote trip, uh, or is it some kind of like existential philosophy thing? Like, well, yes and no. I mean, ultimately no, but like, but it, but you see that this is um, what a what a culture chooses to value and teaches people to value is always also a comment about how that culture 
believes that reality is like what Mm -hmm. that culture believes reality is and how that culture believes that we live in it um and like the big the big demon there like the the big um falsehood like maybe the only kind of uh sin or vice um is not to be real is to is to i would i would go further um so there's a there's a therapist i work with um in my practice she's she's amazing she's a close personal friend you've met her um sydney um and she she makes this point brilliantly um i want to give credit where credit is due where she talks about how the main she she feels like like the biggest sin that you can commit in this culture and she sort of argues that this is the grounding for sort of what what most people would call cancel culture or what have you um is just disappoint what someone believes that you are so Hmm. if i believe you are this sort of a person and then you deviate and you become a different sort of a person then I'm mad at you and I feel personally betrayed by you. So the, so the ultimate, the ultimate evil, the, if if the ultimate virtue is authenticity, the ultimate evil in our culture is disappointing somebody, not being the character that they built up for you. I I think I could extrapolate it that far. I don't know if you'd agree with that sentiment. I think, I think that's probably fair because again, it's, we're talking about like, it's the, it's the one betrayal is not to be real, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, you know, you can see already um, the way that that there are there are major grave tensions built into this, right? There are grave tensions built into this because um, the sin is not to be real, um, but then also the great sin is to like not be what I thought you were slash not be what I want you to be. Right, but right. if Which that's being real, so there's odds, this. Yeah. So my favorite, one of my very favorite filmmakers of all time, uh, is this unspeakable genius named Whit Stillman, uh, and in one of his movies uh, called Barcelona, he has this incredible scene where uh, this guy who has been just swine the entire film uh, is like running away. Uh, running away from a problem uh for like the last time uh and he looks over at somebody else with with whom he's running away from the problem uh and he says you know shakespeare says to thine own self be true but what if thine own self is pretty bad then to whom shall i be true yeah yeah and this is of course genius you know this is genius because again like he's he makes this movie in the um in the late 90s and he's he's this is a direct commentary on this kind of like authenticity culture and its tensions right to thine own self be true but if thine own self is pretty bad actually then to whom shall i be true Mm -hmm. yeah so to bring it back to, to sort of the practical application of these things, we find, you know, the, the personal question I'm sitting here as an artist and I'm wondering, am I a real artist? What does it even mean to be a real artist? Is anyone a real artist? And then extrapolating that even further to, you know, questions of religious identity, am I, or are they real, real Catholics? What does it mean to be, does anyone get to decide, you know, these are existential questions, but I think, you know, and, and I'm curious what, I mean, you're saying you hear this stuff 
like sort of in the periphery of the campus culture and things like this, but you're also a confessor. I mean, I, I know I hear counseling sessions all the time where people are saying, I'm not a real, I mean, I hear, I probably hear I'm not a real artist the most I hear. I'm not, I, I do hear I'm not a real Catholic often like, oh, I struggle with whatever sin and therefore like, and if anybody knew, you know, if anybody knew they would know I was a fraud and not a real Catholic. Um, and I mean, I, I'm not going to say I'm above this, right? I definitely, we've talked about it perhaps on here, but definitely, you know, privately, I, you know, I've, I've struggled with, am I, am I, uh, a, a real artist? Am I, you know, a real when I was younger, right? Am I a real man? Like mm-hmm. not in a gender identity way, but in sort of like a toxic masculinity, like how do I define my masculinity and am I bad at it kind of a thing? I mean, right. these are totally things that I've struggled with and do struggle with in my darker moments now. Um, I mean, we can get really philosophical about it, but they're really, really practical, important things here, especially for artists. Um, and Catholics, which is the whole intersection of this, that that I think we have to kind of stick to if we're gonna if we're gonna answer this question. Yeah. For no, I think that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right, and that's exactly what I want to. Um, so I want to sort of pull it into that big background because at least this is a proposal, so kind of a thesis proposal that I I am offering. Um, You're proposing. The- I'm proposing. <laughs> finally. finally, I've been I've been living with this thesis for years, and I'm finally making an honest thesis out of it. Um, Let me call my mom. It's incredible. Um, let's get them Instagrams. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I'm, this is a thesis I'm proposing. So uh, that I, you know, take it or leave it. But you know, we can just it can be. It's kind of a framework for for this, and and that is that this um that this like. 80s 90s 2000s authenticity culture is at the root of this kind of like contemporary wave of the experience of like imposter syndrome or whatever um and that without trying to be you know overly simplistic but that we do bear these things ourselves and i and like from my own experience i think that's part of what's going on in these things when i question that myself exactly like Am I a real man? Am I a real priest? Like, am I a real Catholic? Am I a real like scholar? Am I a real medievalist? Am I a real Latinist? Like all these kinds of things. I and I think that some of these things are at back of it. And I I wanted to start with that point about authenticity because um, I think we jump too readily, particularly when we're thinking about our own um, thing, uh, measurable kinds of performance. So you know a work of art that you've made that like somebody will either pay for or not um a portfolio that somebody will either praise or blame uh for me you know like a an article that either will be accepted or it won't be accepted you know like a translation that either like does what it's supposed to do or it doesn't etc you know like these things that can be graded um i think that when this question of like am i real am i a real whatever um, I think we too readily jump to thinking that this is a qualitative assessment. This is primarily a matter of quality. Like, oh, I, am I good enough at this? Sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. And that's an that's an important element, and it's 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 an important element. But I propose that at least as significantly, possibly more significantly, deeper down is this deeper tension in the heart about um, that arises from this um, social value of um, authenticity and its tensions and the difficulty of bearing it. 
Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I had, I had never connected that sort of radical be yourself thing to the imposter syndrome thing. But I think once you make it explicit, it's pretty obvious that like, if I'm told to be myself enough, and then I start to wonder, well, who is myself? And what if I did a bad job at that? And then that becomes the most existential fear possible. I also think, and and I'm going to throw this into the mix as an additional ingredient. You know, you, you, you the example you just used is they will either, they will either review my portfolio positively or they won't they will either accept the article or they won't and speaking from like a psychological perspective i notice i i hear a, an inherent hypothetical future tense to that yeah <laughs> that's really important i think when we deconstruct imposter syndrome hmm. because what we're really saying when we say i'm not a real artist or am i a real artist or i'm not a real catholic or am i a real catholic what we're we're really saying is i have an idea of a hypothetical finish line that i'm supposed to get to that i will be real when i get there and i'm not there yet so does that mean i'm not real so if if as an artist i had my stuff in a gallery or if i had this kind of work or these kinds of patrons or as a writer if i have my stuff in this particular journal or if i as a catholic if i have this particular family life or look this particular way you know then i would be i would sort of fulfill this thing that I say I already am, but it's like pending almost. Yeah. I hear this a lot in counseling too, where, you know, cause I am primarily working with Catholics. And so I get sort of all the little sort of Franciscan anxious, weird kids. And, you know, a lot of them will say, Oh, I, I know I have a vocation to marriage and I go, Oh great. Who are you dating? And they're like, well, I haven't, I'm not dating anyone. And I'm like, mm. well, how do you know you have a vocation to marriage? And they're like, well, I just, I just know, and this is the same thing, right? That you have this idea of who you're going to be in the future, but you're not that person yet. And you, and it brings you shame. Yeah. 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 Right. I think that's, that's really good. Thanks for adding the future futurity to it. Um, uh, <laughs> you the asshole, element of the future just said the element of the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. Yeah, you got there eventually i got there it was my second try please i'm an academic this is what we do we say the dumb thing first the dumb smart thing first and then the yeah, comprehensible the thing second thing. it's it's the door of the explorer way of speaking where she always says like the spanish yeah. word and then immediately yeah. follows with the english word yeah follows. let's go that's <laughs> yeah it's exactly like wow what an olfactory experience um what a good smell <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so listen, there's, um, there's this amazing book, um, that I think, uh, I think every creative should read, uh, it's by one of my favorite late 20th century, um, novelists. It's a, it's a British woman named Penelope Fitzgerald. I think she died maybe in like 2006, not that long ago. Um, it's called at Freddy's. It's all at Freddy's. Um, I read this with, uh, a book group one time. Uh, who had like pestered me about, they knew that I, uh, knew that I liked literature and had pestered me about like wanting to read a book with me. And I said like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. So like, uh, one of the great things about Penelope Fitzgerald's novels is that they're very brief. This is about 100, 125 pages. Uh, and just like, so first, first you suggested Twilight Breaking Dawn. And then when they didn't like that, you defaulted back to this one. 
Exactly right. Because I just thought, well, you know, but you you just got to get you got to read the first three thousand pages of um, you know, you know, uh, Mormon blue ballsing, and uh, and then like, <laughs> and then you'll really get Breaking Dawn, you know. Um, yeah, then you'll really get it. That's right. You'll really connect. Um, and uh, gentle listener, that was not a dig on the Mormons. It was just a comment on Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just exclusively Twilight. Just exclusively comment on Twilight. Um, so. It's this incredible, it's just in like, so Penelope Fitzgerald is just a stunningly, grippingly incredible writer. And um, uh, the best part about this book, so like I, had, I hadn't read this book, I'd read like most of her other novels, but I hadn't read this one. So this will be fun. We'll, we'll, I'll discover it together with them. So like we're on level playing field, it'll be great. Um, I adore this book and I really think that every creative should read it. Uh, the best part about the group was that Every single other person hated it, just <laughs> which hated made you love it, it all with the an more. insane passion. Yeah, with an insane passion, could not understand. I asked uh, one of the guys at one point, uh, compared it to J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter unfavorably. Oh damn! Yeah, it was a that was a powerful moment for me. Um, I I embrace that memory when I'm feeling sad sometimes. Um, so so, but why do I bring this book up in this context other than just to, to praise it? Uh, which I do like to do. Um, is because so at Freddy's, Freddy's is a uh, I she's this like she, Freddy is this like psychopathic uh large old lady who runs uh, a school for child actors. And the book is about child actors in this oh, life. That sounds miserable. It's insanely good. Um, and a lot of the heart of the book, not the only thing, but a lot of the heart of the book um, is circling around and tearing into and tearing around this question of authenticity and being real and being fake. And if thine own self is bad to whom shall i be true and all of these things so she's sort of raising all of these questions about like um how do i be real how do i be real and i uh, one of the fascinating things of course about acting uh is that there are two ways that one goes with uh with like a career in acting one is that you be forever fake um, because you kind of know to like um, how to sound in every scene, like how to how to sound in every interaction with a real person that I sort of put on this perpetual persona of um, of being this actor, um, being this this uh, kind of star role of whatever kind. And I and I am fake forever in this sense. Right. Um, but the other way of going is that in learning to do this, I become, as it were, like real forever that like I enter into the heart of this thing and I learn to the way that like these words, this these words that aren't my words, these poses that aren't my poses, this blocking that is not my motion, that they all become real when I'm living them, you know, um, and uh, part of the part of the point of the novel is that um that the one, the one who's sort of perpetually fake, that this is, this is, these are what you call bad actors in the end. They might be very famous, but ultimately they're bad actors, where the ones who sort of are able to live as perpetually real um, in this thing, that this is, this is the real pursuit. Like this is the mm -hmm. actual art. This is its genius. Um, 
But note how weirdly both of those are in tension with like the cult of authenticity. Because like like the the beautiful crisis of acting is that um this is not authentically you. These are not your words. These are not your actions. You are like and even the the physical practice of it, right? Like learning how to stage fall, learning how to stage kiss, like doing all of these things, right? Like you're learning how to do them in an in an artificial way. And it's the artifice that ends up being able to make them real. It's the like thing that is quote unquote not authentic that is able to make them actually authentic. Like actually Dude. Real. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that's uh that that's um that's a rich thing to kind of look into that um and it, it, I think it can be a vein for like a, a rich vein that maybe one could mine um to dig into like what's where does the the social value of authenticity have an unhealthy hold in hold in me um is like where where do I believe that I have to invent for myself? everything about how to be basically in the end like that like one of the one of the claims of, of Fitzgerald and at Freddy's is that like um actually we do have to be taught how to act including in re- in quote real life I do actually have to be taught how to be real and that's okay yeah I mean so I, I will I will throw out my personal answer to this and maybe we can deconstruct a little bit because I'm totally prepared for it to not be the full answer. But I think so. And this could be taken the wrong way too, but I, I think that process is a really important component to medicating the imposter syndrome thing because you know, as an artist, if I ever say I'm, if I ever say I'm there, if I ever say like, I'm good, like I've reached the mountaintop, I'm, then I'm, I'm going to get pretty stagnant in the kind of art that I'm creating. It's going to be bad. Right. Um, and this is in pretty stark contrast with imposter syndrome, which supposes that there is an actual finish line I'm getting to. And that by not being at that finish line, I'm somehow not real. And I have to put the pretense up of maybe already being, if not at the finish line, at least a lot closer than maybe I actually am, you know, by dressing up my resume or my portfolio or whatever else. And, um, and the same, I think is true for, for Catholicism and religion in general, right? We use this, we use this term practicing Catholic, um, and, you know, there's, of course, the the Stephen Colbert joke of, of, I'm not a practicing Catholic, I've perfected it, right? But I yeah. think that goes, that actually goes a long way to understanding why we say practicing Catholic, because there, there's this idea of it as a process. It's not a stasis that you reach, where you're like, I'm here, and I'm good now, and I'm done. It's, it's the act of, I'm going, I'm, I recognize there is a deficit in me, um, 
But rather than be disillusioned or desolated by that, as I would be in imposter syndrome, where I say this deficit makes me false or makes me inferior, I'm inspired by that to say, okay, great, this is the way I'm going to grow today. And I'm also grounded by recognizing that even if I happen to become more perfect in that area, there will still be other deficits I have to work on. Uh, And so there's like, I think it's too reductive to say that there's a humility that medicates authenticity um, or cultural authenticity, the the way we're talking about it today, but that's, that's in there. Um, But it's, it's not just humility. It's sort of like humility in process. It's like, I am actively in development and it almost seems to me that, and maybe I'm reiterating this too much, but like, it almost seems to me that that sort of, I was lost, but now I'm found and I'm good and I will never sin anymore kind of a thing that, that is so problematic sometimes in Christianity it is it, that imposter syndrome is sort of a response to that where it almost believes the people who say that about themselves. It believes the mm. artist who says, I've already made it. It believes the Christian who says, I've already made it and says, oh gosh, I haven't. I don't compare to that person. So therefore I must not be real enough. Um, And then other people, of course, respond to that with the authenticity thing and just say, no, you're not there yet, but no one could be there. So be really, really authentic about how crappy you are and sort of revel in your crappiness and your inferiority, but don't grow. And so that's why I'm kind of putting in this middle way or proposing this middle way where I'm saying, no, no, like definitely grow. Don't just accept where you're at and be cool with it, but also don't judge yourself by an imaginary finish line that doesn't exist because actually the future is a social construct and does not yet exist. Um, instead, just focus on your process and how you want to be growing a little bit today and be really honest and open with everybody about how you are actively working towards that, but you're not, you're not there yet. Um, the analogy I sort of, and I'll turn this over to you cause I'm curious, but the analogy I always sort of use with, with some of my clients and even in my own art and stuff is, is this will surprise nobody. Um, the, the sort of analogy of Disneyland where, you know, Walt Disney famously says at the opening of the park, um, Disneyland will never be finished. Right. And, and, Mm. you know, we're opening this, but it will never be finished. It will always be this kind of living constant art process of adding things and taking things away. And I always say to my clients like, yeah, Disneyland will never be finished, but that doesn't mean it's not open for business already. You know, like it is definitely open for business. It is complete, but it's not finished, you know? And And we're the same way. Like I, as an artist, I am not finished. I'm not done growing in all these things. And I hopefully will never be. And I think if I get to a point that I think that I am done, that says something really toxic toxic about where I've ended up in my art process. But I am quote unquote good enough to still put my shit out there and like be in a gallery or sell my stuff if I want to or anything like that. You know, I am complete. I'm just not finished. And the same thing as a Catholic, like I am working to be a, a holy person. I am working to adhere myself closer to the heart of God, um, you know, through morality and prayer and things of this sort. But, you know, am I there yet? No. Does there even exist? No, it's just focusing on my daily process and seeing like, Hey, where is God calling me to polish or grow or stretch or adjust you know, the, the sculpture a little bit more today. Again, just this idea of I'm complete, but not finished all at Disneyland. 
I definitely have thoughts about that. But first, what better way to talk about, to illustrate um, questions about authenticity, um, acting, imposter, than an ad read with somebody else's words. So Creative Things <laughs> is brought to you by Catholic Creatives. Catholic Creatives is an organization dedicated to igniting a new renaissance of faith through prayer, beauty, and the creative spirit. And to do this, they connect and support and promote artists and innovators and makers and storytellers from across the faith. But as you could expect, it takes a community to bring big ideas like that to life. Um, so we invite you to support Catholic Creatives Patreon. In doing so, you support um, your glorious podcast hosts. Support us. Support, support us. us. Yes. Um, and you also contribute to future workshops, um, summits, resources, outreaches, um, cool stuff, you know, basically a lot of different means of supporting ca uh, Catholic artists throughout the country, um, and abroad, in fact, um, unless you are abroad, at which point supporting Catholic artists in America is supporting them abroad, which is cool. Um, you know, which is great. Uh, anyway. Become a Patreon member. You're losing it. Get 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 back to it. You're losing Focus. it. Focus. I'm sorry. Beginning too real. Uh, become a Patreon member. Help us make this new Renaissance a reality. Um, go to CatholicCreatives.org/support, um, and also check out the super awesome products from Catholic Creatives makers and artisans and artisans stuff at Catholic.store. That's an ending to the domain name. Don't be putting in like Catholic.store.com, my friend. This is the brave new world. Catholic.store.go.com forward slash MySpace. Dot net. Dot gov. <laughs> so the thing is that like. A, what I'm taking from the point that you make uh, is that. Any human thing is a thing that is always either growing or dying. That's just what yes. a human thing is. A, a human thing is always either growing or dying. So there is no such thing actually as treading water. Treading water always means that you're getting crappier. Like, uh, it just that's just that is just the thing that it means. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a relationship that is like quote on hold is moving farther apart. You know, a skill set that is like treading water is actually getting worse. Mm -hmm. um, that there is no such thing as actually like putting a putting a pin in something, uh, and then you know uh, being able to have like your beautiful dead butterfly on the on the board uh, and say like I have that now. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's it's a human thing have, is always I have an object. And I have, and I can count how many objects I have. I have I one have, object. I, I have object permanent skills and object counting skills and possibly butterfly murdering skills. Um, <laughs> these are important skills. Um, and uh, that, but a human thing is always a living thing. So it's either, it's, it's doing what living things do. Like a living things are either grow or they die. Like, and that's all that they do. Um, and I just think that's a that's a that's a major that's a really important point for um for this like for for an artist for people who are trying to do great things that are great human things um is that like we either grow in them uh or we're either growing in them today or we're like dying in them today uh and that's that's just how we do it and that's yeah. okay as you say like that's uh, that's um that's something that's happening 
or should say you 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 emphasize like the importance of the process in this, which I think is a good way of thinking about it. Um, and I would also put it as just that we we emphasize the presentiality of it. That means the emphasis of the way it's in the present. <sighs> I did it. I did it. See, if you wanted, but to be totally honest, I did that one intentionally. Yes, you uh, did. I can tell because you used a funny voice. I used a funny voice. Hey guys. And that was a social cue to me that you were joking. By the way, we are going to be uh, higher order narrating the rest of the rest of the podcast forever. It's just going to be incredible. Um, God, can you imagine just how navel gazing it would be? What if we released like that sort of behind the paywall second podcast, but it was just commentaries, live commentary tracks over old podcasts? Oh my god! Yeah, when I recorded this bit, um, I was it was really I was having a really interesting day actually, and um, you can tell that in the shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, when you fast forward just three seconds, oh my god, that would be amazing. Yeah, when Jacob said that, I actually wanted to punch him in the face. In fact, true facts, I actually broke my computer monitor that day because I punched it in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew right. someone who did that. I knew someone who. Oh man, don't do that. Uh, played the slender i we we had it on video in college this guy who played the slender man video game um and got so scared legitimately when slender man jumped out that he straight up like hardcore punched his laptop screen and and smashed it. i mean fully destroyed his <laughs> oh monitor oh my gosh yeah, yeah. okay i so reflect that yeah, That's um, mad respect to the game designer. Um, also, maybe you've done your job too well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, but the presenciality. Yeah. Presenciality. Yeah, it's just that it's actually always here. You know, like you, you make the important point that like the future doesn't actually exist, which is true. Um, but that like the the living human thing that I'm doing and that I am, it's just always here. It's like, it's always now, you know, like I'm frustrated that like I'm behind, like, uh, this is, this is not hypothetical. I'm frustrated, uh, that I'm not making the progress that I need to on my dissertation, but like, okay, I can like let that weigh on me and then like also waste today not working on my dissertation and then like feel bad about it. And then like that spirals, you know, or I can just like start working on it. Like, yeah exactly you yeah, know exactly. um and those are the only options like i'm i i you know that's those are it i can i can either just faff around uh or i and and, can, and continue to feel bad about, badly about that or i can just start working on it you yeah. know and i and i get like psychologically there are barriers and, and things and things can be tough and it's not always as easy as like well just snap out of it you know but like but when we are talking about like uh a human thing that we want to do because we want it to be beautiful and we want it to be living and we want it to be alive. Like ultimately it is just like, well, okay. Okay, go. Then then go. Go.com. You know, like you just mm-hmm. go do it then. Or don't. Yeah. We had a conversation about this. Uh, someone uh, posted about this in in actually you mentioned during the ad read the Catholic Creators Facebook group and the private one and somebody mentioned this there um and was sort of asking for people's uh strategies for coping with with uh imposter syndrome and this was one of the things i said you know 
there's obviously a lot to um ignatian discernment i'm hardly an expert on it and and to anyone who is this is going to sound like a really reductive version but a lot of ignatian discernment that is the discernment process uh the discernment of spirits right that that say ignatius puts down is is um uh determining between what he calls consolations and desolations what we might reductively in 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 psychology refer to as like helpful and effective thoughts versus unhelpful and ineffective thoughts. And there's a whole spiritual component to this. Again, I'm being reductive for the, for the sake of brevity, but um, you know, one of the, one of the primary ways you judge whether something is a consolation or a desolation is, is by looking at the fruits of it. And, you know, if, if, if you have this thought and it's leading you to isolate, if it's leading you to sin, if it's leading you to misery, it is probably not from God, right? It's probably not a godly thought. It is probably a desolation. That is something from the evil one meant to desolate you and, and vice versa. You know, if that thought leads you to greater virtue, greater closeness with other people, um, you know, greater fulfillment, any of these kinds of things. I mean, again, speaking, speaking flippantly, um, there's a good chance that that is from God, that it's a consolation, right? And and I proposed this as sort of one answer to the imposter syndrome thing, which is like, if you're saying I'm not a good enough artist or a good enough Catholic, and again, I reject the enoughness of anything, um, but if you're if you find yourself saying that, and it's it's moving you to work harder on that thing and inspiring you to grow in that way, you might have some flawed concepts about things like what it means to be an artist or what it means to be a Catholic or what it means to be enough, but ultimately there's good fruit in there and God's going to use that. But as you're saying, Father Gabriel, like if it leads you to isolate and say, I'm not a real artist, so therefore I'm not going to try. I'm not a real Catholic, so therefore I'm going to stop going to church. Like that is obviously a desolation and you need to tune that shit out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And like, maybe you need to get to the bottom of it. Maybe you just need to like stop paying attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's part of how you get to the bottom of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Yeah. So just like kind of where where we've been. So where we've been uh, heretofore and say like, okay, so in the in reason for, for making this proposal about the danger of um, – calling calling attention to the role of this cultural value of authenticity in the individual experience um one thing about that is that it says that there is some hypothetical magical perfect version of me um that i have to go find and that that's the only way that i can live um Mm -hmm. another thing about that that's that's a presupposition is that that is in fact a static reality um, that in fact it's always been perfect there's a there's an interesting kind of pessimistic optimism here um that that the me that's the perfect me i need to be authentic to is and has always been perfect uh and i'm only having problems because i'm not my perfect me so like so it's you see it's very pessimistic actually but like but it's also very encouraging and optimistic you know um right like, right yeah yeah it's wrapped in very it's wrapped in very pretty paper but it's 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 really it's actually pretty dark sad underneath it yeah yeah and then on top of that so we bring it we raise those questions and then on top of that as um artists as creatives of various kinds um raising the flag that actually one of the problems of authentic of the of the cult of authenticity um is that it uh it precludes 
this basic human truth that I actually have to learn how to be who I am. I actually have to learn how to do everything that I want to do, like literally everything that I want to do. So, so elaborate on this because I've actually always struggled with this point when you make it. Um, and I'm being very honest here because I, I don't know what your answer is and I'm not sure if I'm going to agree with it or not. But on the one hand, you say there isn't this ideal self floating out there in the ether somewhere that I am racing to go be, that I am trying to assimilate myself into and that my inability to do so so far is the source of all my problems. On the one hand, you're rejecting that idea and I can get behind that. But on the other hand, you're saying I have to become who I am. And this is very much uh, a reflection of something Pope St. John Paul II says, where he says, families become what you are. Yeah. Right. And and there is this idea of my amness, and I am moving into a process of this. There is some people will extrapolate that to say, like, you know, God designed you a certain way, and and you know, you need to be consistent with this and you need to grow to be that person. And there are all kinds of different ways to extrapolate that, but but you yourself in the same breath are are rejecting one and holding on to the other. And and I don't know that I have ever been able to consider a nuanced difference between those two things. So I would love for you to speak to that. Yeah. I think the point about that you made about uh, the the reality of being in process, being as becoming, right? Being as uh, growing into a thing and that like any real human thing is a thing that is either living or it's dying. It's either growing or it's shrinking. Um, that this is how I am. <laughs> that that I am who I am. Uh, I am, excuse me, what I am. <laughs> uh, whether I want to be what I am or not. Uh, it's just simply, there's just me. There's nothing else, you know? It's There's just me. Um, even even if it would be a, a really comforting myth, it would be really comforting if there were some sort of like false prison that like a real me was hiding in that I just need to be broken out of, you know? And like, wouldn't that be amazing? Um, or alternatively, a real me waiting at the end of a finish line somewhere that if exactly. I can just race hard enough, I'll meet them. Yeah. So it's either spatially located within or spatially imagined as being without, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But it's one way or the other, you know? Like it would be... Um, Interestingly, this is one thing that attracts Augustine, St. Augustine, in his big book, The, the Confessions, when he's talking about his own history, um, uh, that he he falls in love for a while with this um, very weird uh, sort of marginal Christian, ex-Christian group called the Manichees. Their teaching doesn't really matter for us, for our purposes, but... They, um, they well, I mean, I will say very quickly, they believed that Christ was... Um, f not totally fully God and fully manatee. That was he was fully thing. yeah. Mostly they actually this they worship manatees mostly. That's yeah, it. yeah. Christ ate close to ten kilos of lettuce every day. It was a weird fringe group. The manatees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could get caught in propellers. It was really sad actually. Yeah, um, really awful. Right. So uh, I would just want like a manatee crucifix with like propellers and oh, stigmata. Oh no! Sad I'm going to hire someone to make that for me and hang it blasphemously on the wall. It's not sacrilegious yeah. if it's to make you smile. That's, that's How could it possibly be? Um, <laughs> so one thing that he's attracted to about them originally is that they actually propose this kind of idea that like ultimately there is a real you hiding that, that, that in fact 
is being kept prisoner um and just needs to be set free um they believe it's being kept prisoner by the by the evil prison of the body they think the body is evil matter is evil uh, they think that an evil material god has kept that keeps you prisoner mm-hmm. um and at first he thinks this is really cool because like then like I look back at my life and I see my problems and I see like all these bad things that happened when I did these things and like all this stuff about myself that I don't like. And like suddenly it's all like Ali Ali Oxen free, like wipe off the chalkboard because like none of that's my fault. It's because like this evil God has trapped me in a body and Mm -hmm. the real me is hiding inside it, you know? Uh, And so for a while he liked that, like that was the thing that attracted him. But then he writes, um, that after a few years of living with living as a member of this group, um, that became the thing that actually pushed that one of the major things that actually pushed him away was realizing that this is a totally static vision of what it means to be a person. Like the real, perfect, authentic, uh, wonderful me just is there, either inside, spatially imagined, or at the far end, spatially mm-hmm. imagined. Um, and that's it. It's just what it is. Can't grow, can't shrink. It just is what it is because it has to already be perfect, right? Um, and like this, this is where you could say like Augustine, maybe for the first time uh, explicitly, like in in uh, in the Latin West, like identifies the crisis of authenticity and rejects it. Like it rejects it as a prison that stops the human being from growing and being alive. And I bring that up in this context because I say like, well, how how can I reject that? But then also say like, Christian, become who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's because that is just that is the only way to be a Christian is to become who I am. That is the only way to be an artist is to become who you are. Is to become an artist. Like the only way to be these things is to become them. That like being is becoming here. There is no stasis where I just hold it and it is what it is and now it's settled and now it's done. So so it's a way of saying be in that constant state of becoming. Yeah. That like that there that that this is literally the only way to be these things. It's it's literally the only way to be a Christian is to be being brought into the heart of Jesus Christ ever more closely. Otherwise, I'm being brought out farther away the only way which to makes be sense an why, artist is to practice art right which makes sense why jp2 yeah it makes sense why jp2 would say it in the context that he is right because he's not saying there is some ideal family out there at the end of a finish line or inside somewhere that you have to adhere to and assimilate to he's saying don't as he often says don't settle for the mediocrity of i already am what i am that stasis also don't fall into the trap of holding yourself up to a non-existent future standard instead just exist in that place of of constant becoming recognize that family life is something that you don't just take for granted it's something that you actively keep moving forward on together um so that that make i mean that's what i'm extrapolating anyway based on what you're saying but I, that so makes sense yeah. if that is what he's saying yeah, St. Francis says something very similar when he's um, of Assisi about, or uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, when he's okay. when he's about to die, 
uh, you know, his life is sort of famously radical. He's like really is sort of wild. Totally rad. Ted's totally rad, rad brat. Um, and, uh, and, but when he's sort of about to die, he says um, to the brethren around him, like, let us begin, brothers. Let us begin to live our life. Because what we have done up till now counts for little or nothing. And you could say like, wow, like, you just like harsh my vi- harsh my vibes, bro. Because like you know, like St. Francis is so nice, and he like loves animals and stuff. But like, <laughs> no, but this is the whole point. It's like let us begin. You know, like if we if we if I say, sort of say like, oh yeah, look at all this awesome stuff I've done, or like look, I've been living this life forever, and like I kind of like if I, if I in any way allow myself to be to 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 give into this temptation of like I've kind of I've kind of locked this down. I'm kind of rocking it. Um, it ceases to be a human thing. Right, it ceases to be a human thing because it just no human no human thing is static. Uh, a human thing is only ever a thing in becoming. Um, mm-hmm. So it's either so I, I've I've said I, I, in fact I've I've treating it no longer as a human thing, and what's actually happening is it's dying. Um, so yeah, he says, totally. like at the end of his life, he's like, "Let us begin." Like now, I'm ready to begin. Not like. Not in this weird sort of like, once I cross that pearly gates, you know, like, uh, but no, just like, he's going to begin that minute, that minute, you know, to try to, to try to be a Christian, to try to do this great thing, um, that he's doing. Yeah. There's no, there is no starting line other than right at this moment. Yeah. And there is no finish. Cause that's another part of this. We haven't even talked about, we keep talking about the finish line, but so much of the, the imposter syndrome is imagining that you are running some kind of race and that there are people that are further ahead than you because you started late or you started at the wrong place. Totally. Or, and I, and I like this idea. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's really charmingly sort of new age, right? In, in, in sort of like, I know how much you hate rent, so I bring this up specifically to bother yeah, you, but it, like the sort of no day but today, you know, that kind of thing. Like there is an element of this to that, where where or of that to this, where it's like, yeah, there isn't actually a starting point. There isn't actually a past, right? There isn't actually a future. These are, these are concepts. Um, there is right now and there is no starting point other than where i'm at right now and there's no finish line there's just constantly moving forward and you know being in a constant state of becoming yeah i mean i am a of course i as a as a child of the 80s and 90s um i naturally learned everything that i know about the universe from those great sages noel and liam gallagher uh the <laughs> brothers of oasis uh which literally nobody has ever thought about since uh, y2k um i uh, i don't think they really made survive the transition to the new millennium um mm. but uh you know they had an album called be here now and it was so profound because you just gotta like be here now and of course like i despise in any way identifying with this with this kind of thing but like that ultimately yeah i mean like you yeah do, you do actually have to like yeah you do actually have to be here now is the thing mm. but with that there's another angle on this that i want to point to which is really connected with with um a whole other with, angle i thought you were starting to wrap up i i, I am, thought you were it, winding it down with i that am way you winding that. down but like it's i a thought thing. you were going to be like at, after the francis thing i legit thought you were going to be like so gentle listener let us begin to go 
and create cool things. But you didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't You're do just that. Because I have another thing. point that I want to make, which is that Dang. I think another really, really important because all that we've been saying, uh, the steps that we've been saying, I think, I think do hold uh, important, like logical and philosophical and psychological water um and and as as ways of understanding like being a creative being a human being like being a living thing who is in becoming um but there is one last thing i think that because a really helpful ingredient for like you say like okay but i here i am uh and i'm a want to be an academic or i want to be an artist or whatever and i am still struggling with imposter syndrome so like what do i do with it here's one last virtue one last way of thinking about the human thing that i want to propose as a as a real uh antidote to imposter syndrome stuff to this question of like am i real um and that's we talked about this once a long long time ago and i just want to talk about it a little bit more in this context and that's um uh this clunky word magnanimity it's oh this, yes this word that just means great great solidness like having a great soul and let me just say really briefly what that is and why i think it's related to this subject so um it actually does um concern like how we are how we earn how we receive like honor and honor is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, it's a good thing. It's actually one of the highest goods that the human being can desire. We can desire honors for all kinds of wrong reasons. We can pursue them for all kinds of wrong reasons and all kinds of wrong ways. But honor in itself um, is a real human good. Um, magnanimity concerns the way in which we we desire honor and the way in which we pursue it. Um, and Ultimately, it's a it's a freedom to want greatness. It's a freedom to want things that are great. Um, and it's interesting because properly speaking, in the person, like where is it located, so to speak? Um, in the big toe. In besides being in the big toe, um, it's in the way in which um, I face difficulties, actually. So there's this like, uh, like our emotions, our passions, you know, that like face things that are difficult. Um, it it directly concerns like facing things that are difficult with hope, with hope that some good can come out of this. That like mm-hmm. this is difficult, uh, but I can persevere and continue and struggle through it, uh, and that I can have confidence. Um, that I will attain this great thing um, in doing this thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that magnanimity, this greatness of soul, this desire for great things, um, is a really critically important part of like directly attacking the roots that lead to this fe- these feelings we call imposter syndrome. Because Actually, I suspect part of the problem of imposter syndrome is not that I want pie in the sky stuff that I can't actually have. It's that I actually want something that's too small. You know, I actually want like a reputation without having earned it. I actually want um, to just find myself to be this perfect version of myself without having, without having done all the stuff that like gets me there. I actually want to, um, 
just like get discovered on TikTok without like uh just just that you know um just like uh, these things that just happen to me you know um those are very yeah i don't want to do what i want to have done it i want to have done i want to have it those are very small desires i think we actually need to have the freedom to desire greatness to desire things that are great um that like uh I want the thing that I'm working on. I want to have the freedom in my own heart to desire that the thing that I'm actually working on could be great. That doesn't mean to be imprisoned by sort of like, oh my gosh, it's not the, you know, this isn't Michelangelo's Pieta, so it's garbage and like I'm in a complete panic about that. But know that like I actually want to be so present to this thing that I'm working on, this creative project this piece of art this this article that i want it to be great and i want to labor for its greatness and i want not to be put off by the arduousness of the labor um i want not just to give up for the to in despair and embrace like mere kind of mediocrity or or aping someone else's version of greatness yeah or just like or just doing nothing, lying, waiting to be discovered, either by someone else or by myself. You know, like right, yeah. Um, but I, I think we actually need the freedom to desire great things, to desire that the things that we do be great, and to work for them to be great, to learn the skills that we need, to do the things that we need, to make them actually be great. And like you know, magnanimity. This is what's interesting about it is that it can regard really really big things you know like a general who's fighting in an army or whatever or like you know the country is at stake it can regard really really big things and you can say like that's magnanimity like that's like black tar magnanimity it's the pure deal <laughs> um but uh but then there's this like really critically important magnanimity that's that's in everything that we do that interestingly, it's this desire for greatness this like willingness to fight for and to work for and to fight to have hope in difficult times um, for greatness in things that themselves are quite small. Basically, it's I mean, like, it, it almost sounds like you're saying like doing it for the love of it, whatever the thing is that you're doing, whatever the it is doing it for the, not for where it's going to get you, not to, to not performatively to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians, but just to, just to do it for the love of it. I, I think that, that can be related? an important element. I think, uh, yes, okay. I think that can be an important element. I would just give a little bit of a qualification. Cause like for, for example, um, I am not good at working out. I am not like a gym bro, but I do go to the gym. Um, and like, uh, I will use the elliptical because it is the form of exercise that you can most easily read novels while you are doing. And that is the only reason that I'm exercising <laughs> is to read novels. Um, and uh, I have just had to accept this about myself that like, I actually love this. I actually love it. I really do love it. Um, I will not tolerate I. Uh, working the elliptical at like a very slightly higher than is comfortable level of um of like resistance or exercise Mm -hmm. uh because i actually just have no interest in like sweating that much 
Um, like I'm actually, I want like a basic level of exercise so that I can read my novels and like not die when I'm like sitting, uh, reading books for 20 hours a day. Um, and that I am legitimately doing it for the love of the thing, but I am also like actively choosing to refuse to, to like embrace it being any harder than it is. Uh, and so just say like I have I have for my own reasons like legitimately chosen to settle into a kind of crapitude with um uh with like how I how I exercise, you know? Mm-hmm. Like this could become more of a thing. I could build up better muscles, I could probably be healthier, but I just don't want to because like at the level of me doing it for the love of it, like I don't I don't need to. Well, but what's the it that you're doing? Like I, I think you're thinking really narrow uh, narrowly about and almost in a platonic ideal kind of a sense about what working out is like if the point like there are some people roids man roids well but there are some people who are working out for the love of working out and so for them Mm. getting the gains and all those kinds of things would be doing it for the love of it but Mm. that's not why you're doing it you're doing it to be a little active while you're engaging your creative imagination. And like, that's the thing that you're doing for the love of it. So you're doing that. Right. So, so I don't, I think that that is a perfect example of the magnanimity thing. You don't feel any need to keep up with someone else's thing. You're doing this for the love of it because it's meaningful to you and you're going to do it the most you can. Okay. I accept that. I accept that. Um, <laughs> I accept, accept that, that information I mean, of myself. It is, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is close. Every time I, if I see see these these exercise bros or these like intense chicos, just like pouring sweat, like I like they're the smoke is pouring off of their elliptical, elliptical machine next to me. I just would be like, "Girl, calm down." You calm know? down. Like, I saw this guy once. I went to the gym. Here for this the guy novels, was just, you know. I mean, this guy was just stripped down to sinew. I mean, this guy was just, I mean, just muscular tissue. And he walks into the the changing room, the locker room, and he's just gagging and, and you know, oh. just breathing so hard. And then he just rips off his shorts and just the largest manhood I've ever seen just like swings around and legit nearly hits me in the face. And I was like- <laughs> Who are like what species are you? What what is this that I'm looking at being traumatized? What would by? you say you are? <laughs> That's uh yeah, you know, like this isn't this is not how I use the elliptical. No, no. <laughs> but that's because you're doing it for the love of it, and the the it that you love is Ultimately being on the elliptical the and, and reading the novel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. I um I think what's important about this magnanimity thing and the reason why it's like connected to all this is and maybe and maybe you're right to 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 say that another way of looking at this angle, another angle from which to look at this question is this question of love and the and the and the doing something as a pursuit of love, um, and doing something sort of in love and out of love. Um is that this actually gives you the freedom to like be mediocre. You know, it gives you the freedom to like not already be quote unquote a pro to not already be perfect to like um because in the little thing that i have present to me that i can do what or just whatever size thing i have present to me that i'm actually working on like i can have the freedom to desire that it be great and to labor that it be great um 
And maybe maybe it will turn out to be great. Maybe it will not turn out to be great. But like I have that freedom in like literally everything I do, no matter how big or how small it is. Um, and that's just always present to me. Like that's what great great solidness means. That's what magnanimity means. Is that like my heart is always free to desire that the thing that I'm doing be great and to labor so that it could become so. Um, it might end up being kind of crappy, kind of mediocre, and that's all right. But like the freedom of the heart is to desire that even the smallest thing that I do be great. And that would be a perfect place, another perfect place to end this episode, except that I have a question that I can, and I'm sort of imagining some of my clients listening to this episode as some of them do. And if you are right now, you should stop because this is a terrible podcast and you you need to you need to go do the thing I assigned you to do in session rather than listen to this terrible, terrible podcast. But um, I'm I'm imagining some of my clients who maybe deal with scrupulosity or who are just, you know, who aren't dealing with scrupulosity, but are maybe just more traditionally minded. And they're they're in my head anyway, they're screaming like, but what about just things that are wrong? And what I mean by that is, you know, I sort of started this episode throwing out, yeah, there are people who say, am I real Catholic or are those people real Catholics? And without getting into, you know, because I think any, any group philosophically, politically, whatever has, has these people, but, but there are definitely people who say like, how dare you call out my particular form of immorality, um, my particular unique sin, um, you can't say I'm not a Catholic for doing this and I'm not changing it. Right. I I'm a real Catholic cause I say I am, I'm a, you know, and you could extrapolate that into the arts thing again. You know, I am not a dancer, but who are you to say I'm not a dancer? So I could, I could just say I'm a dancer and I could just like wiggle and, and then I'm a dancer. You know what I mean? So, so everything you've said, I totally agree with, but it, you know, the magnanimity thing of doing things for the love of them and not judging ourselves by the imaginary and fabricated standard of tomorrow or yesterday, um, you know, not believing in some mythological ideal self that I have to unlock, you know, with a certain number of Zelda treasure chests, right? Like I'm totally tracking with all of that, but it almost feels like we're making a backdoor argument for, um, yeah. So if you just say, Hey, I can. I can, I can be, uh, you know, I can be a Catholic while going out and like murdering puppies. Who are you to say that I am not? I can be a dancer without actually like dancing. Who are you to say that I'm not? And, and I'm wondering how we juxtapose everything we're saying against that. Yeah. That to me, that's why, that's why the at Freddy's point is so important is that actually in the end, uh, I have to, I have to learn how to be what I am. Like, I can't just invent it for myself. I actually have to learn these things. And in the process of learning, like, is a process of being shaped um, from the outside. So, like, uh, I can't, I, I cannot just decide the principles by which one is a dancer. I can't. I can't just invent that. Like, I, I actually have to be taught 
see like the other side of learning right is that i have to be taught like if this involves social like real human relations that like the be- the best and most beautiful living human things are handed down from person to person uh and i actually have to be shaped by like the presence of another person right like i'm like the sovereign authentic me is actually in fact um i only able to be free by being formed by others uh, so in fact, like if I want to be a good actor, I cannot just decide for myself like what it means to be a good actor. I actually have to learn to act well. And the funny thing about that is it's I'm, that's going to be a matter of internalizing a lot of things that are not authentic, that I did not invent, that are not, quote, who I am, that actually if i really have if i really embrace them and really try to do them pursue them with a lot of greatness will really give me the freedom to oh, live well oh fascinating okay right? i see what so you're I saying cuz i wasn't this. actually sure even now where, uh, until right now where you go where we're trying to go with the freddy's thing but this this is now unfolding for me so i'm going to say it in my own words so i can try to get it but like what you are essentially saying is that by buying into the sort of anadel v I am this in the future and therefore I have to pretend to be this or otherwise feel ashamed that I'm not this yet. That, that if you accept doing it for the love of it right now and the nowness and all these kinds of things that that actually frees you up to then start growing authentically to, to, to start growing for real um, because you're not trying to keep up with something that's fake. Yeah. And in that, I am actually having to learn a lot of objective skills um, mm-hmm. that like I'm learning from other people, you know, mm-hmm. like if I want to be a sculptor, I have to like a ton of effort learning like um, how to use these tools and how to work with rocks and like what what kind of rocks are. But, you know, all this just right. These are objective things and I have to learn them. Right. Um, right. But I'm only free to do that if I don't feel like I'm running a race towards a true self somewhere. Yeah, because exactly. then I should already know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which brings us back to kind of, and I don't mean to pick on the poor thing; she's been through enough. But like, brings us back to the stereotypical Anna Delvey example, right? That what ultimately prevented her from becoming the art gallery nightclub owning ingenue that she wanted to be was pretending that she already was. Right. Right. In the end, not actually desiring real greatness like the real greatness um that produces these things as side effects because of the actually arduous goods that it is pursuing with hope that confident that it will have good results actually laboring to learn the hard things that i actually have to do in order to make those possible to actually make a living thing that creates and makes life um and as a consequence sometimes in if you, if you want the kinds of things like like a socialite kind might want also as a consequence produces all of these other things or can produce all these other things um, i mean not to blow smoke up our own asses but i think this podcast is sort of a small version of that right where i've i've talked before i think we talked about this in our interview with with matt meeks from catholic creatives where we we um you know we we talked about how there have been plenty of times in in my career where I've said, oh, I'm going to do this and this will be the thing that takes off and makes me the real whatever, 
you know, whatever the real was that I was trying to be at that time. And this wasn't that this podcast, this was just us saying, I would really love to have an excuse to talk to you about our incredibly niche bullshit every week. And this would be a way to justify that with our respective versions of workaholism. And, you know, we are just doing this for the love of it. And wouldn't, you know, as a byproduct, as a fruit, as a secondary gain, this is the first thing that works out, you know, where all those other things I was launching to work out don't, you know, and I was trying to kind of be authentically myself with myself, this ideal self with those things, this I'm comfortable with the now I'm comfortable with just doing it for the love of it. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable just being in a state of becoming with this thing saying, how can we just polish this a little more? How can we make this a little better? What can we do to become better interviewers? What can we do to have more interesting topics, but not doing it to achieve some long-term goal, not doing it because, oh, and then that will bring in this audience or, oh, then, you know, we'll, we'll trend or whatever else, but just literally doing it because we love it right now here. Yeah, that's right. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. That's what we're hoping yeah, see, for, you know? This is the ultimate upshot um, of every podcast is that we're perfect at this. And you guys just need to do, you guys just need to do whatever we tell you to do because we're, we are already there. We're already yeah. at the end of that. We race. already nailed it. Already nailed. Guys, discover in yourselves the you who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, guys. Am I real? Are you real? Maybe (laughs) you could be, maybe you are, but you are, you could be, if you go forth and create cool things. (laughs) Shameless, shameless. So dumb. You've been listening to Creative Things, a podcast of Catholic creatives, hosted by Father Gabriel Toretta OP and Jacob Flores Popcheck, produced by Jessica Flores Popcheck and Kyle Meineke. To find out more about how you can support the podcast and other ventures for artists, visit catholiccreatives.org forward slash support.